Greetings and welcome. My name is Mike Bankhead. I am your host. I am a bass player and songwriter from the Jam City, Dayton, Ohio. This is episode 111. And my guests today are Juliet Fromholt, the music director at WYSO, an NPR affiliate in the Dayton area, specifically Yellow Springs, and Taylor Ruckel, a freelance music journalist. Yeah, we're going to nerd out on music on this episode of the You Could Be My Aramis podcast. This episode is brought to you by my 2023 concept EP, I Am Experienced. Please listen to it anywhere you stream music. And now, Juliet, Taylor, and I will talk about our favorite albums of 2023. Let's go. It's, it's that time of year. Taylor it Ruckel is. and Juliet okay. Fromholt are with me. And we waited as long as we could. We, we weren't like those publications that put their year-end columns out in the middle of November. No, we waited as long as we could to have our favorite record of the year conversation. Uh, how y'all doing today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Love talking music with you guys. I'm glad that we waited. It's nice to give everything a little bit more time once everybody else's lists have marinated, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I will tell you that I, I looked at a couple of the top 50s from like November. And one of them, I was like, I listened to five of the records on the 50 <laughs> and half of them yeah. I hadn't even heard of. Yeah. So I actually got some extra stuff from my personal listening list from those. But yeah, I'm also glad that we waited. So yeah, let's let's not delay the listeners from discovering new stuff any longer. Uh, ladies first, Juliet, uh, let's let's drop into our favorite 10 records of 2023. Okay, sweet. Well, I as usual, um, I rank mine for the radio, even though I hate ranking things. It like hurts my heart to do it but I to make sense on the radio I do it so I'm gonna go in uh I guess descending order here so I'm gonna start with number 10 uh which is Hannah Jadagu's Aperture this is her debut her sub pop debut she was signed to sub pop right out of high school uh the sort of apocryphal story is that she was signed when she was in high school it was actually a few months after she graduated she clarified that in a world cafe interview um, I got to see her live. She is such a talent. She's bringing, you know, um, some really cool like 90s and early 2000s sounds uh, that she definitely picked up listening to her older siblings record collections. She's also bringing a young, fresh sensibility to that music. Um, and she's just fantastic. And she's an artist that I- I'm excited about her debut. I'm even more excited what to see what she does like two, three, four records in. Where did you see her? I saw her in Philly. Um, I I get to go to this. Um, it's called the Non Convention, which is a non commercial music showcase every year. It's put on by WXPN. It's kind of a radio industry thing, and we get to see a lot of artists. That's like it's a conference, but there's a lot of music involved, and a lot of the labels will bring you know their new their new artists for us to get to meet and to get to see um as well as some seminal artists too so she was one of the performers i i knew about her before i saw her perform but that just cemented to me that she's really an artist to watch yeah this has been on my to listen list for like half the year now uh and i hadn't gotten around to it i put on warning sign this morning just awesome awesome stuff the drum sound the guitars like the atmosphere the the aesthetic of this record is so cool i cannot wait to spend more time with it 
I had never heard of this artist. So this is why we have this conversation so that <laughs> some of us can learn things from industry professionals and hopefully the listeners will, will learn something too. It must be nice to get a record deal right after you graduate high school. No kidding. Yeah. She's one of these artists who was, you know, making stuff independently and just putting it online and it got to the right ears and she was able to get signed. And actually when I saw her in Philly, she was in the middle of finals at NYU. So she's like still very much like a student doing, you know, the sort of young person student life, but she's also, you know, a sub pop artist, which is very cool. That is pretty cool. Okay, Taylor, your turn. Okay, my number 10 is a record called How to Capture Playful by the rapper Pink Navel and the producer Kenny Siegel, who will return in this list. This is the second record uh, by Devin Bailey, aka Pink Navel, with the esteemed indie rap label U Ruby Yacht, <laughs> if I can say Ruby Yacht. Probably the best known um, Ruby Yacht player would be the founder, Rap Ferreira, who also appears on this record. And uh, true to the title, this is a super whimsical record. It's full of references to cartoons and video games. There's samples from Sonic the Hedgehog. There's references to Super Smash Bros. moves. There's a song about the shopkeeper from The Legend of Zelda, which is great. But also Pink Navel uh, was super prolific as an indie artist, um, totally independent before joining Ruby Yacht. So in addition to this being a playful record, it's also super technically impressive. Uh, their style is super well-developed. They have these amazing, super wordy flows. And so where... Their first Ruby Yacht release, Epic, was self-produced and performed live. You could hear a lot of the kind of blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. Um, this record is a lot more of a flex, which is not to say that it doesn't have the blood, sweat, and tears in it, but it feels like reaping the rewards of all those years of work. Uh, it's really fun to hear them come to this collaboration, ready to just like have a good time and absolutely kill it. It's a great record. So I don't... It? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Julia. Julia first. Oh, I was just going to say, I I don't know this one, and I'm excited to listen to it. The, the Kenny Siegel collection, which I know we're going to get back to him later. I know him from that project uh, that you're going to talk about a little later, but yes. that just makes me more intrigued. Good year for Kenny Siegel, definitely. Mm -hmm. How did you find this one, Taylor? I, I actually found out about Pink Navel because they were doing a show in D.C. back in the spring, and I was uh, um, looking out for things that were coming you know, coming to town so I could cover for the city paper. And uh, just so happened that I got into Pink Navel that way. And just so happened, they put out this amazing record also this year. So very fortuitous. Good time. Good time for me to get into this, get into this artist. Nice. So I didn't rank mine other than number one, which is, you know, my way. I So I figured I would try to uh, tell some sort of narrative in the order that I'm going to do mine in as best as I can. Uh, I'll start with the Ash record, uh, Race the Night. Ash is an Irish band who have been around for a while. This is their eighth record. I was not expecting them to put a record out this year, and I was not expecting it to be great, and so it was nice to be surprised. And little side commentary, there are a lot of bands from like the late 90s and early 2000s that put out records this year. Uh, not even late 90s. Uh, Candlebox put out a record this year, which I think is their last. Uh, Filter put a record out. Metric put a record out. Teenage Fan Club is back. Slow Dive is back. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us that some of the older acts are back, but uh, 
the Ash record is it will remind those of us of a certain age of all the good things about '90s guitar rock. It's it's fuzzy. The songs are hooky. The lyrics are not as bad as some of their other records. It's a, it was a really enjoyable listen, and I actually ran it back on the same day that I first listened to it. I liked it that much. And I don't think that I've had an Ash record that I like this much since Charlotte was in the band, which has been a long, long time ago. So if you like guitar rock and or Irish people, uh, go check out Ash's eighth record. That's again called Race the Night. And it is joyous. It's like they're they're one of those like rock and roll bands in the alternative, if you want to use that term, vein that but their music's not mopey. Not that I have a problem with mopey music. I love it and I make it myself. But I wish there I could find a way to write rock and roll with the sense of joy that Ash does without it sounding cheesy. Somehow they pull it off. So Mike, do you go all the way back with Ash or like when did you discover the band? I discovered them when the Free All Angels record came out. So, I mean, they really broke out with a 1977 record, right? Which was before that. So I discovered them when the Free Angels was out and uh, our long departed beloved W-O-X-Y was playing a lot of that stuff. And then I had to go back and listen to the some of the earlier ones when they first got popular. Uh, and I saw them once at Bogarts with Our Lady Peace. That was a really good show. So this is this is a long time ago, obviously. And I, I love- I. I, I think that they haven't been the same since Charlotte left because having I mean first of all the two guitar attack is wonderful and now they're down to the one guitar so they they have a lot less texture when they're doing live stuff right doesn't affect them on the record but live there's a lot less texture in the performances and she used to sing the harmonies and having that higher harmony voice in there which is wonderful but I get it you know bands grow apart I think one of my favorite things about this podcast is getting to hear from you about the deep cut legacy bands that I've never heard of. So that's this is another one of those that I love. Julia, I think he just called us old. <laughs> I'll own it. It's fine. <laughs> I have several younger colleagues and increasingly I'm like, oh, wow, you guys weren't even alive like when I went to that concert. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Juliet's turn. Okay, so my number nine is the sophomore album by Say She She. It's called Silver. Uh, this is an amazing band fronted by three women. Uh, Pia Malik, who you may know from Chicano Batman, Sabrina Melio Cunningham, and Nyla Gazelle Brown. And they have a really kind of disco-inspired sound, but they also keep it really fresh. Um, I got to see them live but I knew about them with their first album. Uh, my friend Brian Burns over at WUNC is kind of a huge champion of this band. He kind of hipped me to them. They're just a lot of fun, very dreamy, very spacey, with a good kind of danceable disco beat. Um, I was uh, telling somebody else when I was talking about this album that I would like to see disco kind of get its flowers a little bit more than it has for its contributions. It gets kind of pigeonholed in a way. And I feel like bands like this are maybe going to enable that to happen, you know, as people look to these modern bands who are incorporating the sounds and influences of disco, people will then have more incentive to look back uh, on that genre. 
Yeah, I had never heard of this, but you just said Chicano Batman. I got excited. You said Disco. I got more excited. You know, we at least had that Jesse Ware record this year giving Disco some flowers. More of that is great. I'm Sign me up. I'm looking at some of their IG photos. They definitely found those 70s style platform shoes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it is a whole vibe to see them live. I think I would like this. Which is exactly why we do this. They're on tour <laughs> in 2024. They are not coming anywhere near the Midwest. They have before, though. So I, I know we are kind of on their radar a little bit. Cool. I will I will keep my eyes out. Thanks, Taylor. Okay. Well, shocking nobody, I'm bringing another Mountain Goats record. This is why. <laughs> this is yeah. what I do. I would love Barry, to not... This is the part of the podcast for you, Brandon Berry. All right, go ahead. I would love to not bring a Mountain Goats record every year, but I need them to stop being so good before that can happen. So this is the latest record from the prolific Durham, North Carolina band centered on singer-songwriter John Darnell, uh, based on a character from several previous Mountain Goats songs, the best known probably being the song Jenny from the album All Hail West Texas, which is one of the most iconic Mountain Goats records. And so Jenny from Thebes is a concept record that maintains all the hallmarks of Latter-day Mountain Goats records. You've got the saxophone-laden soft rock arrangements. You have the offbeat story songs. But I think what impresses me most about it is the way it converses with the band's canon. It's not pandering to fans' nostalgia for All Hail West Texas, which came out back in 2002. If anything, it's like revisiting the character at this point feels like a way of pointing to how far John Darnell's work has come in the last 20 years or so. The songs are catchy and witty and heartfelt. And now there's this really nice seasoned wisdom and kind of gentleness that he brings to it that makes growing and changing as an artist sound like maybe not, you know, the scary, unthinkable thing that a lot of rock stars make it out to be. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was really, really excited about this album because I love All Hail West, West Texas, but I was yes. consciously optimistic. I was like, okay, you can't replicate that because right. it is so of a time and of a place and of a moment in his life. Like, how are we going to do this? And I completely agree with your assessment that it's like a really nice way to see, you know, how an artist has aged and progressed and matured and evolved their sound a little bit while still like remaining true to what we loved about them back in the day. Yeah, if anything, you know, apart from the actual narrative of the record, in, in the same way a lot of the recent Mountain Goat records have been, it feels like a record about aging. And I always love to hear that from, from John Darnell because of just what he has seen and survived in his life. It is a very he he has a very comforting sort of take on on all of that 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 is always like just just very nice to hear i'm trying to count how many albums they've released and it's it's i it's i have to like i can't just do it by glancing this is this tells you how many albums they've released i've heard one of these <laughs> four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen 22 records, 22 albums. I'll make you a highlights playlist or something. Please do, starting <laughs> in 1994. So yeah. I'm going to say that the Mountain Ghosts are to Taylor, like Guided by Voices are to me, perhaps. Yes, that's a very good That's a very good comparison, I would say. Okay. They're not quite putting out three a year, like Guided by Voices <laughs> are, but 22 records since the 90s is still pretty good. Not a bad rate. All right, uh, my next one, uh, I'd like to introduce you to a band that I met on Facebook, uh, Friendship Commanders. So you know how 
it's really hard for us any musicians to get anybody to listen to us or find us on social media. And of course, the social media companies are interested in throttling back our reach so that we will pay for, for more reach. So it is beneficial sometimes to run ads. I have run ads on social media. I have not found them to be particularly effective, unfortunately. Uh, this band, I discovered them because they ran an ad and I was doom scrolling, as you do. And I heard this like super riffy guitar and it made me stop. And I went, oh, I, I like this. And then I clicked and then I went to listen to the record. And so that's proof that if you do if you do it right, Facebook ads and Instagram ads can work. So this band, Friendship Commanders, is based out of Nashville. They are two-piece. The genius behind it is a lady named Buick Audra, who hails from Miami, but now lives in Nashville. And they are not doing what you would expect your average Nashville band to do. Um, she describes this band as sludge metal. I don't find them quite as doomy as that. Uh, I would just call it really loud rock and roll. But it is uh, heavy on the guitar, booming percussive drums. They tour as a two-piece, and she says they're really, really loud live. Uh, this particular record that I'm going to talk about that she put out this year is called Mass, M-A-S-S. Which has multiple meanings. It's uh, it was an ode to her time living in the Boston area and some of the life experiences she had there, but also mass means uh, the inertia that an object has, right? Uh, for our, our science nerds out there, and it also is the thing that Catholics do um, on Sundays, right? So she incorporated both of those meanings into the story of the record. This is a concept album about her time in Boston that also comes with like a full novel, like a book. With it, she did all the artwork herself. She wrote all the songs. It's just a really cool artistic statement from somebody that should be heard. So, yeah, go listen to Friendship Commanders Mass. If you want to learn more about Buick, she was on my podcast a few weeks ago. We had a really long chat, and we it went to a whole lot of interesting places, one of which being some of her experiences being in the Nashville part of the music industry and being a woman. It is not very friendly to women or brown people in Nashville. And she's got a lot of just really upsetting stories to tell about the way that she's been treated. Um, so she's, uh, I actually say that, that some of those interactions have given her a little chip on her shoulder and it comes out in the music, which is awesome, right? right? The way that we deal with some of our issues as songwriters is to go ahead and write it out. So, uh, but this record's great. And uh, I don't think she likes the idea of listing records among favorites, like she doesn't want music to feel like a competition. So Buick, if you listen to this, I'm sorry, but uh, your record was one of my 10 favorite of the year and I don't mind saying that. Well, I, I, I'll give it, I'll give it a pass because now I really want to go listen to this band. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> if nothing else, you know, ranking and listing aside, I am so intrigued. The way you're describing them reminds me a lot of like the way that I talk about Lung from Cincinnati. Like, Oh, I love Lung. Yeah, like a two-piece that's really loud where you're like, oh my gosh, how are two people making this sound and like yeah you could put them in with metal but maybe not so i am so excited to go listen to this yeah i think in the 90s you would have just called this alternative rock right i went yes. to play the top i played the top mm -hmm. song on streaming from them you know when you said you were going to talk about this and like uh wow awesome i love those big wall of sound guitars i was telling you mike before we started recording that this was the year i finally got myself a fuzz pedal to play with so i'm all about things that sound like this right now uh yeah Big, big slam dunk here for me. 
Yeah, I really hope Juliet, you like it enough to, to put some of it on on the radio because uh, yeah. I think more people should listen. Let me. I'm going to tell you something else about Buick that she doesn't really advertise. She's got two Grammys. Whoa, amazing! Uh, so, <laughs> like, she doesn't really tell anyone. Um, and so I made her talk about it on on the podcast with me. It's it's a different part of her life, but it's a really cool story. So if you want to hear her tell it, you have to listen to that episode. But it's not every day you meet a musician that just got two of those in their pocket, right? <laughs> like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I, you know, I'm like, you know, I I kind of want one, and I think I would be very excited about getting one. Um, <laughs> so it's it's definitely an interesting. But she has a reason for that, for her some for her ambivalence toward that particular award, and it, it makes sense. But just this to say that she's a very, very talented songwriter. And what do the kids say now? She deserves her flowers. She deserves her flowers. There we go. There Excellent. it is. Excellent. Juliet's turn. All righty. My number eight is the Omnicord Real Book by Michelle and Degiocello. Uh, this is one that when it was announced, I was so excited because first of all, you have this singular artist, Michelle and Degiocello, whose work is always thoughtful and interesting and surprising. And then you've got this seminal label, Blue Note, her Blue Note debut. And I'm like, okay, what's going to happen here? And she understood the assignment. You know, she really said, okay. I'm on Blue Note. This is my Blue Note debut. I'm going to make something that is both befitting of me and my style and of the Blue Note name. And so you have this album that traverses jazz and R&B and some of her experimental sensibilities has amazing collaborators like Harpist Brandy Younger, who's also in that sort of like jazz experimental adjacent world, a Jonas Policewoman guesting on tracks. It's it's such a solid, beautiful album, and it really honors the Blue Note name, but it also sees Michelle and Degiocello, you know, honoring herself as an artist as well. I didn't get to this one this year. It is on my list, and if that means I have to lose my bass playing card for a bit, I guess I'll accept it. Really, shame on me. Um, but this just it, what since it made your top ten, I'm going to have to push it up the get around to listening to this so cool yeah as somebody who spends most of my time thinking about indie rock this is a great time of year where i love to poke my head up and see like oh what's going on over there in jazz um i i would love to hear about that so yeah thank you for bringing this absolutely taylor oh i guess it is i guess i am next yeah so my my next record is called post-american by a band called ms paint uh this was a record i liked a lot the first time i heard it and it's just sort of steadily risen in my year-end ranking ever since then ms paint is a really unusual post-hardcore band from mississippi they've got the heavy distortion the kind of barking lead vocals the fast driving tempos and weirdly no lead guitar instead it's all synth and heavily processed bass so mike this might be exciting to you in particular and you know that alone makes for some really interesting sounds really distinctive arrangements they also have a very thoughtful approach to lyrics the first song on this record that really jumped out and got my attention is called think it through which is not always what punk bands ask of you you know to think things through um and as the title post-american implies it's a record that's very concerned with the state of the world and it brings this very kind of um 
reasoned approach to sort of 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 looking at where things are going but it's also a record you can mosh to and so if you're into glow on by turnstile or the wave of hardcore adjacent bands that have broken out in the wake of that you absolutely got to check out ms paint thank you for putting this on your list because a friend of mine mentioned this album to me when it first came out and i never got around to it and this is the nudge i need to go back and listen to it all the way through i'm really excited to experience this one it was one I had I, I had it cranked up playing on my speakers, and it was probably the slowest I've ever heard the uh, mail delivery person walk up my driveway to my mailbox because it was just blaring out of my windows, and I think I might have scared them. But it's it's uh, it's a great record for for that. It's a great record for having fun. It's uh, it does it all. This is another Taylor selection from an artist I've never heard of, which is kind of what Taylor does. So it'll it'll go on my list. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, no problem. I got to write about uh, uh, the song "Think It Through" for Paste uh, on their year-end wrap-up this year, which was very exciting. So go check go check that list out. Too. Oh, sweet! Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. All right, so my next one is one that uh, Taylor and I have actually already covered. Uh, we had our, we had our discussions for the first and second quarters, and uh, the uh, Velveteen record from Canada's Pony made my uh, top five in the first quarter, and it stuck around for the whole year. I just like it. It's uh, Lots of fuzzed out guitars. Uh, ask where you've heard me say that before. But yeah, guitars with distortion and and poppy songs. So I, I think I said it to Taylor like this. If you like Charlie Bliss, you're going to like Pony. Um, they're just not from New York. They're from Canada. But yeah, great record. Velveteen, punchy, hooky, rock and roll. And it also not mopey. The mopey music's coming. Don't worry about it. But uh this one's not can't wait yeah but no this one yeah we talked about this record earlier this year i went and listened to it immediately uh it didn't necessarily grab me you know it's one of those things i absolutely should be into that kind of falls into that uncanny valley where it doesn't it doesn't quite doesn't quite hit me where i want it to but i see why you love it i see why a lot of people love it and i'm always glad to see records like this in this lane getting this attention so awesome yeah, I heard a single from this one um, early on, probably pre-release, and really, really enjoyed it and just never got back around to the whole album. So with your recommendation, Mike, I'm really excited to dive into the whole thing. Cool. Uh, Julia's turn. Okay, my number seven is the self-titled album by Blonde Shell, uh, which is the moniker of Sabrina Teitelbaum. It's her debut album as Blonde Shell. Uh, she had some other projects prior to this. This one is just so reminiscent of the stuff I loved in the 90s by women, especially really nodding to, you know, like Liz Fair and Veruca Salt. But again, also like sounding modern, sounding fresh. Um, Lyrically, I just love what she's doing. Her lyrics are interestingly so relatable. Like I could see my like 16 year old self loving their lyrics, but I also as a 40-year-old, love their lyrics and come to them with like a different understanding and a different appreciation. In particular, the song Salad, I think, is a really, really special one. It sort of captures the the experience of a woman learning about the assault of another woman and like all of the complicated feelings about like, you know, this is my sister. This could have been me. Survivor's guilt. Also, that urge of being like, 
I'm a woman, I'm a people pleaser, but I want revenge. And like this dude deserves to get his like, I, and it, and it rocks hard too, is the other part of it. So it's a really, really great album. Again, another band that I'm really excited to see their continued trajectory. Another one I hadn't heard of. So, yeah. I you. gave this one a listen because I saw it popping up on some year end lists and, um, I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say that it, I, it, I sort of, um, I sort of had dismissed it the first time through, and I wasn't picking up on everything that you're talking about that's going on there. So I definitely need to go back, spend some more time with it, revisit that, give it, give it the chance. So, I'm looking forward to that. Keep going, Taylor. All right, let's roll. Um, my next record is one that we had talked about previously, Mike, and it's called "Beloved Paradise Jazz" by McKinley Dixon. This you is forgot one of those... the punctuation. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, this is one of those <laughs> those fun album titles that you love with a lot of punctuation. Uh, beloved, exclamation point. Paradise, exclamation point. Had to pause and think about it. Jazz, exclamation point. Question mark? It's, there's a lot going on here. I, the, the punctuation there is appropriate. You know, we'll, we'll get into it. But McKinley Dixon is a Chicago-based rapper and jazz band leader. As you can tell from that album title, he's bringing this very maximalist, very ambitious, and very literary approach to his craft. Um, but compared to his past work, I think this one is a little bit more pop-oriented, or at least as poppy as a record can be, and still open with Hanif Abdurraqib breeding Toni Morrison, um, which is how this record begins. There are songs like Sun I Rise and Run Run Run, which I think do a great job of condensing what McKinley Dixon is great at, namely these big instrumentals with harps and strings and horns, and also uh, his way of just wrapping every single line to build and release dramatic tension with this amazing level of precision. He based the three records before this one on Toni Morrison's Beloved Trilogy, which of course is referenced in the title of Beloved Paradise Jazz as well. And so my take on this record, which I've said elsewhere, is that if those last three records were kind of a grand Dante-esque trilogy, then I think of this one more like a super detailed Hieronymus Bosch triptych, very compressed, so much going on. Um, I love it. I knew nothing about this until this moment, but you've checked like every box for me as you were describing yes. it. So I, this is going to be one that's going to go, you know, to the top of my to listen list for sure. And like I said, the last time that, that we discussed this album, Taylor, Hanif Abdurraki, fellow Highland. Yes. Yes. Shouts out. Uh, so my next one's another happy one. Uh, Semi-Sonic is back. Uh, I mean, it's not like Dan Wells never stopped working. He just finally decided to make a Semi-Sonic record with his other two bandmates. And so they put out they put out a record called The Little Bit of Sun. It is, well, it sounds like a Semi-Sonic record. Exquisite, exemplary, power pop songwriting. Really kind of optimistic, happy themes. There is nothing remotely offensive about this record, but it's not boring. It's, it's the kind of record that I could see somebody thinking this is going to be boring, but... And maybe it's because I'm an unabashed Dan Wilson lover, but I was not bored by this album. And if you want to hear a really good power pop or one of the greatest songwriters that is currently with us uh, at the top of his game, uh, go listen to the latest Semi-Sonic record. 
I feel like semi-sonic falls into the same category as like not a surf where people have only heard the one song and you're like, oh my God, but their catalog is so good. Like there's so much there. There is. is such a good comparison. And the, I would say the difference is uh, for like, as far as pop people and not super music nerds like us, Matthew Cause doesn't have three credits on an Adele record. <laughs> right. Oh, Stan. whoa. I <laughs> didn't else? know that. Okay. All oh, right. no. okay. So, uh, oh, yeah. Taylor's a young fellow. So Dan Wilson of Semisonic is one of those industry go-to guys for, for writing other, for co-writing with people. And on Adele's really super big breakout record, um, the one with all those singles, you know, he wrote most of those songs. Well, co-wrote most of those songs. So he's not hurting. Uh, he's got actually the kind of music career. Someone was like, what kind of music career do you want? I'd want to be Dan Wilson. Because other than like super music nerds, nobody knows who he is. So he doesn't have to deal with fame or invasion of privacy. And he gets to write songs and cast them checks. I will say, I don't think I've ever heard a semi-sonic record in full. So maybe now's the time. Oh, well, I, I would say if you have it, don't start with this one. I would say go way back in. Uh... <laughs> no, because, sorry, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a completionist. My like first one don't was... Get me, don't get crazy. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. But if you're going to, if you haven't, if you haven't been to Semisonic Land, you got to start with The Great Divide. Okay. And that wasn't their first record, but that was the first one that I heard. And that is not the one with the earth shattering, super selling. The big, song. Capital yeah, T, capital S. Yeah. It's not the one with that. Okay. Which is why I told you to start with, with The Great Divide. But um, Thank you for that. That album could do no wrong. It's great top to bottom. Um, my number six is Javelin by Sufjan Stevens, perhaps an obvious pick for me as I go way back with Sufjan. Um, what I love about him and what I love about this album is he has gone in all sorts of different directions. And this feels like kind of a coming home for many fans. Um, this takes me all the way back to Seven Swans and Michigan, combining the simplicity of songwriting and kind of his folk roots with that bombast that we've come to know and love and using that to talk about grief and love and faith, you know, all of those kind of Sufjan topics that we've come to expect from his music. Um, this album, of course, colored by the loss of his late partner, Evan Richardson III, who died in April. This is definitely a meditation on what it means to grieve someone while they're still with us, to grieve opportunities, to grieve a future that you're not going to have. Um, it kind of met me at the right moment this year. Uh, it was kind of the album I needed to hear uh, dealing with some of my own grief. But it also just, as a Sufjan fan, I love all of the weirder, more experimental things he's done. But I'm also so happy to have this album that really reminds me of why I fell in love with his music in the first place. That is so great to hear. I, You've mentioned hitting you at the right moment. That is so crucial with the Sufjan record for me. It really has to hit me at a place where I'm ready to receive it properly. So I will say I have heard this record, but I haven't listened to this record. And uh, something I found about myself is I can't force that moment to happen. So I look forward to loving this record when, when my time comes. All right. So my next pick is Anarchist Gospel by Sunny War. Sonny War is an incredible country blues guitarist and singer-songwriter who got her start playing punk music and busking on the Venice Beach boardwalks. Uh, and for this record, she moved to Nashville and worked with the producer Andrea Tokic, who's also known for his work with Hooray for the Riff Raff and Alabama Shakes. That gives you a little bit of an idea of the direction. 
it's the kind of record where you get kind of a sharper, shinier version of what Sunny War has always done to great effect on past albums. She writes these very snappy, very emotionally rich folk songs with a lot of blues and gospel influence and uh, with guitar parts that are technical and busy, but also really loose and easy and just a lot of fun to listen to. She's also got features on this record from Chris Pierce, Alison Russell, David Rawlings, Jim James from My Morning Jacket. I only lay out all the collaborations kind of just to hammer home the size of this record. Sunny War is an amazing artist who I followed for a few years now, and it's really exciting to see her make something this big. And all the songs are killer. I just love it. I love this record. This is one that I've actually listened to, and that's your fault because we talked about it in quarter one. Yeah. It's a good record. This is one that if we were doing a top 20 would definitely be on my list. I had I had quite a few toward the end of my list that I was like, oh, if I were doing 20 and not 10, they would yeah. be on here. It's one of them for sure. I love Sunny War. Awesome. Well, let me stay in the same neighborhood, genre-wise and location-wise. Uh, my next one is Rhiannon Giddens. Uh, you're the one. Rhiannon Giddens is based in Nashville at the moment. And this record she put out this year is... The first one in a while that she did without her partner. Uh, her partner is an Italian, like, kind of jazz-type musician named Francesco Torres. He's got to go really hard on the accent. Oh, and her, yeah. Her last two albums were collaborations with him. In fact, the previous one won, won a Grammy for Best Folk Record. Uh, the record that she put out this year, again, called, I just forgot, You're the One. It leans about as close to country as anything that you're ever going to hear me say I like. In fact, I don't think it would be wrong to call this a country record, but it it, it drifts between like folk and gospel and bluegrass, but it sounds super black. Like the, the attitude she puts into her vocals, the lyrical content, um, which must mean that Nashville as a whole probably doesn't like it very much because not only is she a woman, she's a dark woman doing this kind of music, but it's a really good album. She's a super talented artist. Yeah, go listen to Rain and get it. She's one of my faves across the board. I love everything she does. Uh, I agree. This album had a little bit of a different sound for her as of late, and and it was it was great. It's another one that almost made my list. It was so close. <laughs> All right, back to Juliet. All righty, uh, I believe we are on number five which is Janelle Monae's The Age of Pleasure. Obvious pick for me, I am a huge Janelle Monae fan, but I have to say going into this album, I wasn't sure because Dirty Computer was such a big, important, like, dare I say, life-changing album for me. I was like, how is the follow-up to Dirty Computer going to compare? And the nice thing about it is that it's different and it's different in a really good way. She really plays with some different genre influences and sounds leaning into a lot of reggae and dub beats. And it's a joyful album. It's such an obvious like post-pandemic album like, hey, we have been through a lot and now it's time for joy. It's time for queer community. It's time for pleasure. And it really builds on the arc of her prior releases and sees her in kind of a different place as an artist. And I love that and appreciate that. And I will just say, I got to see her for the first time live this year. Oh my gosh, like amazing. That's so great to hear. Yeah, I'm also a huge Janelle Monet fan from way back. Arc Android, Dirty Computer, amazing all-timer records for me. Um, this one I couldn't really get into. 
And I don't know whether that's just, I need to get over myself and my love of Dirty Computer, um, but I still, obviously, I love Janelle Monae. I love to see Janelle Monae thriving, which is very evident from this record. Um, and always, always glad to see Janelle Monae brought up in any, you know, conversation about albums of the year. So, yay. Hooray. This one makes pretty much just about every album of the year list that I've read. It's on there. Deserved. Uh, this Janelle Monae is an artistic genius. Yeah. And very sort of intermittently celebrated, right? Like inconsistently, mm -hmm. inconsistently celebrated. And so anytime people can come together to agree that Janelle Monet is doing great things, I, I have to also celebrate that. Continue. Table. Oh, it's me again, isn't it? All right, well, my... <laughs> My next record is Scaring the Hose by Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia, which is a record I got assigned to write about for multiple lists this year, which was just kind of very funny to me that somehow I became the Scaring the Hose guy. Um, but this is the kind of record that I can't help but love, and that's only grown as I've spent more time with it. This, of course, is a collaborative hip-hop album. Uh, the concept, if there is a concept, is noise. It's two artists setting out to purposely make something so repellently loud and chaotic and meme-driven as to be uh, nearly unlistenable if you're not really committed to it. A lot of people have dinged it for that in their, you know, scoring of it or their estimation of it, especially because Danny Brown is such a creative rapper and the mix of this record really doesn't flatter his voice. Um, Scaring the Hose resists playlisting. It takes a few tracks to settle into the sound of it. But like I said, it's the kind of thing that I can't help but love as somebody who's always gone in for stuff like Death Grips or 100 Gex or what have you. Um, you can look at it as a middle finger to commercial hip hop, especially with JPEG Mafia leaving his old label. Uh, but more than that, I think you can hear just that they had a really good time making Scaring the Hose. And that spirit is what kind of brings me back to it. There's a really great documentary on YouTube where um, it's just, you know, footage of the two of them hanging out where Danny Brown's recording his verses and, you know, they're just having a blast with it. And so that that energy is kind of what what made me sit through the noise of it. In addition to, you know, my own my own love of noise for noise sake. I feel like if you're going to name your album Scaring the Hose, you're not trying to be taken seriously. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. I appreciate an album that I can listen to and and I'm like, hey, I this is not something that I would necessarily play on the radio. Like it, it doesn't work right. in that context. Oh, you but couldn't. It's, no. Yeah, but it sounds like the people had so much fun making it, and like you know, there there is definitely something to be said for that too. Yeah, totally. My next one, we're gonna get progressively sadder. By the way, with the rest of my records, uh, my next one's Joy. Melodicoon's Proof of Life. Oh, but you said it was going to be sad, and then you said Joy. Well, that's just her name. So, <laughs> and if you follow her on the social media, uh, she's one of those famous artists that actually talks about how she hasn't been feeling the greatest the last couple of months. Not all of them do that. I mean, I guess maybe she's not all that famous. Um, she's famous to me. But uh, we talked about this in either quarter one or quarter two. I can't remember. It must have had been quarter two because the record came out in April. And uh, that was one of my top five then. And it, and it stayed it stayed for the end of the year. This is an Americana artist uh, who ventures into the folk influence. There's some R&B influence, but this is Joy Ladakun at the top of her game. Good songs, strong messages. There's some sadness. There's some anger. 
Um, and as a person who put out a record this year about black experiences with those teams, I get it. So that is probably part of why I like it. But yeah, she's a really talented artist and uh, everybody should go listen to Proof of Life and be prepared to maybe cry or be angry. I like this album a lot. It's another one that was definitely shortlisted for my top 10. And I need to spend even more time with it because every time I listen to it, I get something new out of it. Um, and yet I just feel like I haven't scratched the surface yet of what it has to offer. Yeah. After you recommended this to me, I went and listened to it too. Joy Ladakun is great. Great at what she's doing here. Um, and uh, uh, it's not necessarily the kind of thing that would make its way into my uh, rotation for the year, but there's no denying that she is, is, is great at what she's doing. Also, I have to shout out some of the wild collaborations on this record because with this pick, Noah Khan has Trojan horsed his way onto the year-end list. Nobody saw this coming. Julia's turn. All right. Number four for me is the record by Boy Genius. You know, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus are all amazing performers on their own. And when you put them together, they make magic. I, in addition to loving the music, I love the space that they're creating for both women artists and women fans and how they're really pushing up against and poking at male-dominated rock stardom, um, you know, with everything from their Rolling Stone cover, mimicking the Nirvana cover, to just the space that they create at their concerts. This is the type of album that I would have loved when I was a teenager, and I love it now. It's, you know, solid music, solid lyricism, um, cool about it, makes me cry just about every time I listen to it. It's It's just a great album. I'm going to do my Taylor impersonation here. Yeah, so I listened to this one and it just doesn't move me, but that's okay. Uh, I I recognize that this is the current indie it band. This is on every single indie rock list, and I'm not trying to be anti-establishment by not. I don't think it's a bad album by any means. I think the songs are good. I'm just like, okay. Um, <laughs> but from a cultural standpoint, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's like a super group, kind of like the Carolina chocolate drops, but in a different genre. Totally. I think, I think it's, it's a little bit difficult when you, you hear so much of this sound now because of their influence and that can make it a little bit difficult to engage with. I love the song $20. I love the song Satanist. I have to shout out Lucy Dacus because Richmond, Virginia. Yay. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's cool to see it resonate with so many people. It's awesome to see this one uh, get to, you know, have that sort of consensus backing this year. Also, the album cover is really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, am I next? Yeah. Okay, so my next pick is The Return of Kenny Siegel. It's Maps by Billy Woods uh, and Kenny Siegel producing. So yeah, first off, shout out. Kenny Siegel's here twice with coming in with the, the great jazzy hip hop beats. Uh, it's another year. It's time to talk about another great Billy Woods project right on schedule. Uh, his last record, his last solo record, that is, Ethiopes, was my album of the year 2022. Um, this one doesn't quite equal it, in my opinion, but it's a more approachable record with some more conventional beats. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons it got so much more sort of consistent year-long buzz. 
um, than Ethiopes. It's further proof just that Billy Woods is one of the greatest rappers probably ever. Maps, uh, as a lot of people have observed, is a record that deals a lot with his experience touring. It's that kind of record. Uh, as a lyricist who's as seasoned and observant as Billy Woods, that actually lends itself to a lot of insight, a lot of fodder for looking at life and at a sense of place. Uh, it's also an opportunity, one of the things I appreciate about it, you know, to appreciate his sense of humor, because Billy Woods is always very witty and great with his ad-libs especially. Um, but one of my favorite songs on this record is called Rapper Weed, for the way that he just starts laughing through this kind of tongue twister refrain uh, at the end, and of course just powers through the take, total pro. I don't know, maybe it was scripted, but it feels like a very cool live moment on a record about being a live performer. And there's all kinds of things that that really make this a special album. I'm so glad this album was on your list so we had a chance to talk about it because yeah. I also love this one. It's it's another shortlist album for me. Um, I I just love the, as, as you say, the kind of live feeling of it. It just has such an infusion of life and liveliness to it um, that you don't always hear in modern hip hop, you know, sometimes it's really the production that shines and the yeah. sort of constructed world of the production. This just feels so in the moment and it kind of wraps you up in that feeling. Totally. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. It would not be a year in conversation if we didn't have a Billy Woods record make it uh, as far as when, when Taylor's involved, wow. I have come to expect this. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to set up my next pick by listing the uh, current nominees for the for the Grammy Award for Best Americana Record, and you'll see why. Uh, they are uh, Weather Things by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, and really anytime he puts the record out, it's going to get the nomination for Grammy for that category. It's just, we know this every single time he drops one, right? Uh, Chicago Sessions by Rodney Crowell, The Returner by Allison Russell, foreshadowing. Uh, You're the One by Rhiannon Giddens, Past Shadowing, and Subtitled Brandy Clark by Brandy Clark. So the reason that I mentioned that those are your Grammy nominees for Best Americana Album is because my next pick is just as good as those. And it's uh, Dayton, Ohio's Amber Hargett with a concept record called Coleman Canary. I'm going to unabashedly fly the flag for my city and the talented musicians we have here. This album, the songwriting, and the performances by the musicians and the way it fits together and the message deserves that Grammy for Best Americana Record. I think this album is better than all five of those. And um, now I've only listened to three of those five, but I'm going to go ahead and assume it's better than the two I haven't listened to. And it's a crying shame that it's so hard to get ears on independent music especially when those of us who make it don't have massive PR budgets and, and major label money behind it. Uh, coal Mine Canary is a concept record that tells the story of a coal mining town somewhere in Appalachia. That could be West Virginia or Kentucky or Southern Ohio, but it's a look at some characters in this town and how their lives intertwine. It's a really interesting concept. It gets tied together with the spoken word piece in the middle the spoken word piece is 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 performed by someone who's been referred to as the fairy godmother of our local music scene here in Dayton. The album was made by actual real people playing actual real instruments in an actual real studio, mic'd up and performed 
none of that modern in the box stuff, which I know that there's a place for that. And I know that that's where modern music is going. But to me, there's just something special about people playing music and making it from scratch the old fashioned way. That's what this is. Uh, Amber's a great songwriter. Amber can really sing. The engineer and producer is Patrick Himes from our city who puts out just all kinds of great records year after year after year from independent artists in our town. Everybody go listen to Coal Mine Canary. It is nine tracks. Now, this is not going to make you smile, most of this record. There's a murder ballad on it, <laughs> among other things. There's Actually, the murder ballad is my favorite song on the record. Uh, there's some sad songs, but it's a, as an artistic statement. It is outstanding, and people really should pay attention to what's going on here in Dayton musically because we punch way above our weight for the kind of the size of the town that we have. I will now step down off my soapbox. I know Juliet's, <laughs> I know Juliet's heard this one because she's from around here too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I go back and forth every year about whether or not it's fair for me to put local music on my list. <laughs> um, in part because I know the story behind this album of Amber making this album. I know how long she's been working on it and, you know, the, the bumps along the way to get this amazing release out into the world. And I just have so much love and respect for her as a person, as an artist, as a member of our music community. It is an amazing release. And yes, if you're into Americana music at all, or you don't think you are, you should still listen to this. Um, her voice is just stunning. I love when local records make it onto your own lists. So I celebrate that. But also by ranking this above nominees you haven't heard yet, Mike, I feel like you've really tapped into the Grammy voter mindset. So I feel like that's that's also a great point in this. Uh, it is, that is one that is so true. And that's a slight regression. I actually am a Grammy voter now. Um, I'm a baby member of the Recording Academy as of this year. Wow. And I know that most of the voting electric probably did not actually follow the instructions, but I'm <laughs> one of those dudes that likes to follow instructions. And the instructions say a couple of things. One, you're not supposed to vote in any category that you don't work in or are not familiar with. Uh, so while I got a whole lot of people asking me to vote for their jazz records this year, and while I like jazz, I don't work in that category and don't know enough about it. I was not about to vote for any of them. And I'm sure that made all those people very sad. I um, admire your integrity on that, though. Yeah. And, and second, you're supposed to listen to everything in the category. Now, in the first round of voting, I only voted in two categories because each of them had like 500 songs. <laughs> and I will tell you that I listened to all of the songs. Like, and that takes a while. It, it, so, I mean, I would have liked to have voted in more categories in the first round. Now, obviously, now that the nominees are in and there's only like five per, um, I'll get a chance to listen to all those. But just to illustrate how tough it is for an independent artist, there's a certain amount of hurdle you have to clear just to even have your music listed like somebody with access to the academy has to submit it for consideration um and there's 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 some guidelines and rules around that and then how many of the electorate was taylor you alluded to that how many people are going to actually listen to all 500 of those songs so like in the um as an example in the best americana song category i submitted the americana song from my uh concept record this year because i thought it was deserving and in the alphabetical list strangely enough it was right next to a song off of Jason Isbell's record. But uh, it's funny, his song got, got a nomination and mine didn't. But I don't think anyone actually listened to mine. I think people just scrolled the list and be like, all right, there's an Isbell song. Got to vote for that one. Uh, 
I'm sure that's how it works. Yeah. And the only way to really fix that, right, is to get the electorate to be turn it over, you know, younger, more, more willing to put the time into listening. And um, but there's there's also a big industry around um marketing and promotion dollars into getting attention on your music. And some of us can't afford that. Uh so while ostensibly we are only supposed to vote on the merits of the art, uh, not all of the electorate does that. But I will assure you that I do, in case you're wondering. And I believe you. Um, anyway, Amber, you're great. Hope you listen to this. Julia's turn. All right. My number three is uh, an artist who has appeared on my year and lists uh, in years prior as well. Jamila Woods with her latest release, Water Made Us. Um, this album is very different than her prior album, Legacy Legacy. And it really to me, it takes us back to centering Jamila Woods as a poet in addition to a songwriter. It is so lyrical, and there are themes of transformation and metamorphosis throughout. She's got some really nice collaborations on this album. And the name Water Made Us is very appropriate. It just flows. There's a lot of uh, nature metaphor as we sort of go through this this kind of concept of how relationships can transform us, you know, how being in whether it's platonic love or romantic love with somebody can change us for better, for worse, or just in the sense of evolution. And I, I really like it. There's a lot to mine there. And it's just a beautiful record. I just kind of wonder off the top of my head if her and Kara Jackson are friends, since they're both Chicago-based poets. I wonder, yeah. Speaking of uh, honorable mentions, I guess <laughs> yes. that's spoiling. I guess that's spoiling my top three, but it is. It's on, well, it's on my honorable mention list too. So, okay, we'll circle back. <laughs> All right, Taylor. Yeah. Okay. Number three, we're getting into the the high pressure, the top spots now. My number three record is "Lucky for You" by Bully, and for me, this is a fun category just to try and fill every year. Lucky For You is my favorite straight-ahead rock record of 2023. This is the fourth album from Alicia Bonanno, who also produced Bleed Out by the Mountain Goats last year, which is cool. Just extra credit for that. Um, but Lucky For You is working in this very poppy, very grungy, 90s-inspired lane that's been very in vogue and mainstream indie the last few years. And for my money, this is just one of the best iterations of that absurdly catchy songs, super punchy instrumentals. There's some where she's just going full throttle belting through the whole track, but there's also some great loud, quiet, loud dynamics, if that's your thing. Um, if it is, this is the record for you. Hard to Love, I think, is my favorite song on this record. Um, and just for the explosive chorus drops, because if you do those right, it just never gets old for me, ever. You can do that a million times, and every single time, I'll think it's the coolest thing ever. And the way you just like hear her kind of gasping to attack every line of every chorus on this record, the huge inha inhales, um, it's so exciting. It's so exhilarating. And this was the album of my summer as a result of all that. Yeah, this we talked. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead oh, first. I was going to say, this is definitely an honorable mention for me. Yeah, we talked about this one in quarter two, and it made my honorable mention list in quarter two. But yeah, nice. it's a good record. It rocks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh. Going sadder still, uh, my next one is Lydia Loveless. Her latest record is called Nothing's Gonna Stand In My Way Again. Fellow Ohioan Lydia Loveless, who has finally come home, uh, left us to go to North Carolina. It didn't work out. She came back. 
Uh, now, in addition to being an artist, she also is an engineer and producer at a studio in Columbus. So while she's making her own records, these days she's also making other people's records. But she's back with really more really good songwriting. And everything she puts out, the longer her career goes, the her records, her albums are leaning, each one leans farther away from country and more towards rock and then more towards pop. Um and I know this from 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 listening to to and following Lydia on social, uh, she talks about some pop singers that she likes, and I you can kind of hear the influence and in the production of the songwriting moving away from just pure country music to. It's not like she doesn't still have country music influences. I would I would say this is the Americana record if I had to categorize it, but it's just really good, really good songwriting and well executed songs. So if you're into people that can write and sing. Go listen to to Lydia Loveless, and it's not happy. She's had a, a really rough last few years of her life, and there's a lot of songs about relationships and breakups and just bad life things. But those things make good art. Yeah, I've been digging her trajectory as an artist. You know, I I loved her kind of more straight ahead country stuff, but I like the direction she's going in because you can tell she's taking little pieces of everything in the past and just kind of building on them. Please continue. All right. My number two is Anoni and the Johnsons. My back was a bridge for you to cross. This is Anoni's first album with the band in 13 years. And it very rightfully is getting some comparisons to what's going on. Um, this is really, really Anoni's moment to sort of meditate on her life as a trans woman, on the legacy that she is a part of, on the future that she is a part of. You know, very aptly, the album artwork features a portrait of Marsha P. Johnson on the cover. But moreover, it's such a beautiful album. I've always been intrigued by Anoni's voice. She's got a very distinctive voice, uh, even from those very first albums with the Johnsons. And I feel like this album perfectly captures that vulnerability and strength that her voice has and that resilience and struggle. Um, it's just a beautiful record. And I love hearing an artist who has such a distinctive voice really kind of reaching this moment where the voice, the material, the subject matter, and the arrangement is just all allowing her to shine in such a beautiful, authentic way. Yeah, I unfortunately... Haven't been writing about music for 13 years, so this was an artist who was slightly before my time. I kind of missed, um, I, I've been meaning to get to this record, and so today I, I put on It Must Change, and I just love the sound, what's happening here. You said what's going on, that made this click immediately for me. The, you know, grooves, the beautiful string arrangements. Uh, I'm so looking forward to to going deep on this album and this discography now, now with this uh, this context. Taylor's turn. Okay, number two. All right, coming in at number two for me is Good Living is Coming for You by Sweeping Promises. This is the sophomore record from the Lawrence, Kansas. That was a weird way to say that. The Lawrence, Kansas post-punk duo, Sweeping Promises, working in a very 80s-inspired niche. I think the tip of the iceberg uh, for touchstones for this would be stuff like Devo or Pylon or the B-52s. 
their last record, Hunger for a Way Out, was one of my favorite records of 2020. And this one just came right along and, and cemented them as one of my favorite active indie punk bands. The songs this time out are hookier. The vocals, I think, have leveled up. Lyra Mundal, the singer, brings a lot more grit and a lot of character to the album. And uh, also something that I've been coming to appreciate is that, you know, Sleeping Promises have this super lo-fi sound. They use a lot of really scooped out guitars, super crushed sounding saxophones and synths and things. Um, but it's not just because of the constraints of what they're working with. It's so purposefully and impeccably engineered to give it a unique, surreal sound that's kind of unlike anything. And to my ear, it's kind of like a funhouse mirror version of all those 80s bands they sound like. And it really hits home for me in this era where we're still living through the economic and political fallout of the 1980s, you know, uh, wage stagnation and whatnot. It's like, it's a very... Um, you know, in the way that most historical fiction is actually about the time in which it was produced. I feel like this kind of a nostalgic sounding record um, is not actually as nostalgic as it is tapping into, you know, some some stuff in the culture that is uh, is resonant with when those sounds first came to be. I thank you for introducing me to this record in our quarter two discussion. Otherwise, I might not have ever discovered it. But yeah, I dig it. This is the second time Sweeping Promises has come up in a discussion, like in the past two weeks. Ooh. So I'm really excited to go back and revisit this album. They're awesome. They're so good. If you have a chance to see them live, also do it. Because as good as they sound and as dialed in and as, as meticulous as their recordings are, um, they're just as great as a kick-ass live band where they're just, just playing the song straight up. Next for me is West Virginia-based band Hello June. They released a record called Artifacts this year. Uh, Hello June's main songwriter is Sarah Rudy. Uh, she does all the writing. This is feels like the album where they're taking their shot. Uh, they have a couple of records out already and have gotten completely organically covered by like NPR and Rolling Stone on the strength of one of their previous singles a few years ago. And uh, this year they took the whole band in Nashville and seems like they spent the extra money to go get like the big engineer and the big producer and go do it. And the result is this, uh, this album that is pristinely performed musically uh, with just heartbreaking, sad songs. And as you listen through it, by about the time you're three songs in, you will say to yourself, wow, she sounds a lot like Lydia Lovelace. Uh, Lydia Lovelace and Hello June should go on tour together just because they would, they're a perfect match stylistically and, and musically. And I would not have said this about any of Hello June's previous work, but on this album, Sarah really does sound like uh, Lydia Lovelace when she's singing. And that is, um, that's a compliment. Um, Sarah, they can both really sing. And um, I like the songs on this. And I really hope that they come through Dayton on their next tour. Ready for number one? Okay. My number one is The Returner by Allison Russell. This is her sophomore solo album. Definitely more joyful and sonically boisterous than The Outside Child, her uh, freshman release as, as a solo artist, at least. And yet this album remains so deeply felt, which is what I love about her music. She has really started to cement her place as, you know, part of modern folk slash songwriting canon. Like, I would put her up, you know, up against in that lineage of like Joni Mitchell and Brandi Carlisle, and she's become part of that musical family. And I think the thing that's so remarkable about Alison Russell as an artist is that 
she is very committed to being authentically herself in her music, bringing different genre influences into more of an Americana release, but also really talking about very personal things and things that matter to her as an artist. And I had the opportunity to meet her uh, super briefly this year, and she is just as lovely and authentic and such a real deep feeling person as you would imagine from listening to her music so she's just the real deal all the way around that is so cool i finding out about allison russell this year is one of those funny moments where you know writing about indie music sometimes you get kind of tunnel vision and so getting so into sunny war and then realizing allison russell is featured on this record and is actually in a lot of ways a bigger artist than sunny war and realizing oh i gotta zoom out for a minute here i must i must know what's going on here so very very excited to see this one see this one come up here um my number one is the maybe the longest named record of our list so far um it is it's the record is called praise a lord who choose but which does not consume semicolon open parentheses or simply comma hot between worlds close parentheses oh wow yeah um, this is the longest titled album yet from Eve Toomer, the experimental pop producer turned self-styled Graham, Graham Locke, Glam Rock, God. They started this full kind of crossover from experimental music on the last record, Heaven to a Tortured Mind, which is a lot of lo-fi psychedelic soul. It had some like really colossal standout tracks, but for me, I think a lot of, of the songs kind of get lost in the lo-fi haze of it. What's cool to me about the new one a record I've decided to just call Praise the Lord Who Choose, is that uh, Eve Toomer goes for a much more hi-fi sound, working with people like Noah Goldstein and Alan Mulder, super high-power pop and rock radio type guys. Uh, and it actually works. It makes for a more balanced record, in my opinion. Like on Heaven to a Tortured Mind, you have these huge moments of spectacle and bombast. And then you have a much cleaner and more confident approach, I think, to the quieter songs. And the quieter songs, I think, have become my favorite parts of this record as I've spent more time with it. You have these really beautiful choral interludes between songs. You have these really, really great, delicate falsettos that get to shine alongside the huge gopher broke pop moments, which are also there and are also super stunning. Like, I think the song Ebony Eye was my most exciting first listen of any song this year. When the drum intro kicks in, segues into these huge, huge walls of strings, it's just one of the best feeling moments of any song I've heard all year. And then there's also stuff on this record like the song Lovely Sewer, which is this really nice, chill background groove I can just have on at any time and, you know, not, not, uh, not fall down every time I hear it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Praise the Lord Who Chooses, I think is a deeper record than the last one. And in my opinion, it nails each of those modes so, so well. It survived the, the whole year for you. Yeah, nothing measured up to the excitement of hearing Ebony Eye for the first time. That was my baseline. Nice, because we talked nice. about that way back in uh, way back in April. Yeah. All right, so I really only ever rank one, and the rest of them are kind of arbitrary. It's my way. Uh, so this one's number one, and it is completely out of left field genre-wise for me. Y'all are going to be like, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, this artist is called Leve. Let me spell it for you, dear listeners, because the way you pronounce it is not how you would think based on the spelling. The spelling is L-A-U-F-E-Y, Leve. This is an Icelandic Chinese lady. I know that makes no kind of sense. She sings in English. This is a classically trained cellist and a pianist. 
who discovered like 30s and 40s jazz and that's the music she wants to make and that's what this record is the album is called uh bewitched and it is just this lush beautiful throwback of the kind of thing that you would like see in a movie from the 30s 40s or early 50s but it seems like she wants to bring that sound that old school jazz sound this is like before jazz got to the point where it didn't have any structure and a whole lot of solos this these are like actual songs with choruses and sweeping strings and that kind of thing so she's bringing that old school sound and she really wants to introduce a new generation to that um this lady's like 24 or 25 so she's just a kid uh but outrageously talented and the songs are just they're just really good and again not the kind of record i'd normally listen to but i saw it on a couple year list and one of my listen lists and i was like i'm just going to give this a cursory listen and then i was like oh that's good i like that song and then the next song oh man i like that song so um i discovered it from reading year endless and that's the kind of thing that i hope that you listeners listening to us will, will have found something you like from ours so 30 seconds apiece run through your honorable mentions um, well, we mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Cara Jackson's album uh, came up. That is definitely an honorable mention. Seconded. <laughs> Mara Weaver's I Was Due for a Heartbreak and Screaming Females, what I can only assume yeah. is their yes. last album because uh, they're breaking yeah, up. Breaking up. Oh, Desire Pathway was amazing and heartbreaking that they're breaking up. Taylor? Yes. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. I was just so, so that, that killed me hearing that that they broke yeah. up after making such a great record. Um, uh, I also have to say I loved Leve, if that's the correct pronunciation. Love an artist with a DC connection. Um, this has been great background music. Like if you're burned out on like Christmas music, but something that still kind of has that feel to the classic Christmas music that I'll say is is great right now. Um, uh, uh, Rat Boys, The Window, Home is Where, The Whaler. Chapel Roan, The Rise and Fall of a Midwest Princess. Uh, these are all records I loved this year. Excellent. My honorable mentions, the aforementioned oh, Kara Jackson. Open Mike Eagle. There was a new Open Mike Eagle record that was good. Excellent. Yeah, was, sorry. The aforementioned Kara say, Jackson. The new Open Mike yes. Eagle record. Uh, Daisy put out an EP called Other Body, and I love everything Daisy does. Annabelle Lee from Los Angeles, Mother's Hammer. Beautiful record. Corey Wong, The Lucky Ones, going a different genre. And if you want rock and roll, the British guys in Tiger Cub, The Perfume of Decay, that thing rocks. We're going to get cut off by Zoom any second now. So thanks, Taylor and Juliet. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both. Thank you very much to Juliet and Taylor for joining me. We have a lot of fun talking about music, and I hope that, dear listener, you can tell. Sorry for taking forever to get this episode posted. Hopefully you have found something, dear listener, that you enjoy, that is new to you, and, and can join in on the wonders of music discovery with us. Thank you for listening.